Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. Hey, y'all. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Adam Hawkins. And we are very excited for today's guest. If you are familiar with the podcast, The Place We Find Ourselves, then you will know the voice you're about to hear really well. Adam Young is a licensed clinical social worker and a fellow at the Allender Center. Adam, we are so excited to have you. Thank you. It's good to be with you all. We like to ask our guests to, we kind of do the, um, you know, the the back of the book introduction, but is there anything else you'd want our listeners to know about you? Anything interesting? Well, I like painting, um, not houses, but like canvases. Cool. Um, I don't do it as much as I'd like, but I, I, I like doing it. Um, and I also am really big into skiing. I live in Colorado and love skiing. That's amazing. I wish I lived in Colorado. We're in Texas <laughs> where we are, and there's really, it's fairly featureless. This is true. But it's got its own aesthetic that we try to enjoy. So I like how that you tell yourself that. I do. I try to. <laughs> I try to. All right. Well, on today's episode, we are going to talk about vulnerability, uh, what it means to share our story, and how to listen well. And so, Adam, vulnerability is a touchy topic for a lot of people and has a bad reputation in our culture. And so, I think sometimes a lot of people associate being vulnerable with being weak. And so I want to start us off with this question. How do you think we learn to be uncomfortable with vulnerability? Why don't we just have this natural ability to show up and want to share the fullness of ourselves with other people? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Well, the word vulnerable comes from the Latin word vulnero, which means to to wound. Mm -hmm. So vulnerable means able to be wounded. So if I share something about myself that is vulnerable, I am opening myself to the possibility of being wounded. Mm -hmm. If it's not an opening of the possibility of being wounded, then it's not vulnerable, it's transparent. And there is a big difference. All right, I'm, I'm trying to soak that in for a second. Both are important though, right? Like what I guess I would say is as it comes to telling our stories, well, let me ask this. Um, do you think in our society, I, I feel like but people are both, maybe, I, I'll speak personally, at times I've been afraid of both being transparent and being vulnerable. Um, what Maybe what um, goods do each play when it comes to sharing our story? How, how, how are both important? Well, you, you can be transparent without being vulnerable. A great example of transparency is, you know, something that you struggled with in high school and college and young adulthood that you no longer struggle with. Sure. And, you know, you're, you're in a community where you share about this struggle that is in the past. Okay. That's transparent. You're not, you're not being vulnerable. Mm. Um, vulnerable is when I open myself to the possibility that your response to me is going to be wounding to me. Mm -hmm. And so vulnerability implies like an, I'm opening my hands right now. I'm holding my hands out with, and that my palms are facing up. It implies a, a stance of here I am. This is something that's important to my heart. And I don't know what you are going to do with me. I don't know how you're going to respond 
to me, putting something that is really important to me out there in the space between us. That is the only way to risk or well, to build connection and deep relationship. And so we, I think we're all very ambivalent about vulnerability. There's a mm. part of us that wants connection, that wants relationship, that more than anything else wants to be known for who we really are and welcomed at the table. Mm. Not just welcomed at the table, but embraced, delighted in. And then there is another part of us that is deeply fearful of being rejected, dismissed, discounted, shamed. And so we're very ambivalent about vulnerability. It's a push-pull. We're drawn to it, and we're repulsed by it. Mm. Let me start from the place of being a listener, which is being less vulnerable. How do we engage someone who is being vulnerable with us in a way that invites their vulnerability? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's careful with other people's stories. What's maybe some ground mm -hmm. rules? Yeah. So if you were to share something about your story, about your past, about your present, something about your heart that matters to you, mm. and you're putting yourself out there, what I think we are all really wanting is, is not just welcome, not just acceptance. We're wanting engagement. We're wanting the other person to basically say, tell me more. Mm. Tell me more about you. Tell me more about why this matters to you. Tell me more about what that was like for you. And it's a posture. It really is. It's like, it's like the Old Testament ethic of hospitality. You are setting a place at the table for this desire or heartache or trauma mm -hmm. from your story. You're setting a place at the table for it to like be there. And we're going to welcome it and we're going to be curious about it. Mm. Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe... One of the reasons it's so hard, I'd love to hear you talk about this, is culturally, it feels like what you just said. We need vulnerability. You need to offer the space to, for somebody to tell their story and to say what matters to them. And then you need to be able to respond to it in a way that that is engaging, that our, that engages with it rather than simply gives a thumbs up or a, a like button. And so, you know, maybe you know where I'm going with that, but it's like, it doesn't seem like most mediums in culture today really uh, allow for that kind of interaction. I mean, as you survey it, uh, what's working against us in culture today to be able to form more of these relationships, these deep connections? Well, we're, we 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 live in what Ken Wilber calls flatland. Right. We live in a in a, a surface, for the most part, generally speaking, in in modern America, we live in a very surface culture where substantive, meaningful dialogue is rare. Mm. I mean, you should not have to pay a therapist to listen to what's most important to your heart. That's absurd. Like, wow. how is it yeah. that we as a society have lost what, what Francis Weller calls the village, mm. the elders of the village? Mm. The elders of the village are people, in my opinion, that have learned how to use their suffering on behalf of the wounded, 
They are the people that set the table for stories to be told, particularly stories of wounding. Okay. I want to be that. When you when I yeah, hear me you too. say that, it's like what I want to be is a person who knows how to transform mm-hmm. my suffering, not transport it, not transfer it. I want to be able to transform it, and I want to be somebody who can use the pain in my life to glorify God and to invite people into these deep, connected, loving relationships. What does a traveler on that path look like? How do we get there? You know, it seems like so often in society, the deck is stacked against that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, Richard Rohr says that if you don't transform your pain, you will transmit it. That's just an axiom of being human being. So all of us have some degree of pain. I'm not saying everyone has trauma, but Many, many people have trauma, but everyone has heartache, tragedy, harm in their past and and in their family of origin. And most people don't want to look at that. Mm. The dilemma is if you don't look at your past story, you will most certainly transmit your pain to those, sadly, who are closest to you, spouses, partners, children. When you think about like vulnerability and the beauty that it holds for us and our inability to do that, it sounds like uh, what you're saying is a good place for that is starting with our own story and our story of origin. But I think one barrier to that is shame, mm-hmm. right? Because yes. if, if vulnerability is so beautiful, let me, and this might be just, you can to summarize what you've already told us. If vulnerability is so beautiful, what prevents us from walking into that beauty? And, and is it shame? Absolutely. I mean, So everyone has this thing in your brain called an amygdala. And the job of your amygdala is to keep you alive. Mm. Your amygdala remembers all bad experiences that you have had in life. So when you were in second grade and you raised your hand and answered a math problem and your whole class looked at you and and groaned because you, you are always getting it wrong, the job of your amygdala is to remember, don't ever raise my hand and answer a math question. Mm. That's all your amygdala does is remind you not to do that. Mm. So Elizabeth, if you have had a bad experience sharing something of substance, something of your heart, something meaningful to you, hoping for connection, and you got shame, rejection, dismissal, minimization, something less than connection, your amygdala remembers that. <laughs> and its job is to make sure you never do that again. Mm. And this is for survival. This is for survival. Your amygdala is not bad. It's a beautiful, very important, godly part of your brain. But it is designed to make sure you never do something that got you in trouble again. Mm. And so... That's the bind that we're all in, Elizabeth. We want connection. We need it. We're created for it. Mm. And yet we remember past experiences of longing for connection and getting shamed. Mm. And so our bodies are in an approach avoidance with vulnerability. We're drawn to it and we're repulsed by it. I think before we step into kind of you know, how how do we get out of this space of shame and embrace mm. the space of vulnerability? Where do we see this with the Lord, right? Because I think what we are experiencing within humanity is this, this brokenness and this uh, shattering of who we were intended to be. I believe that vulnerability 
It's part of God's good and perfect design. And so where do we see examples of goodness within vulnerability present even within our biblical text? Well, you know, when when Jesus has a conversation with Peter mm. after Peter has denied him three times, mm. um, it's a fascinating text yeah. and story because Jesus isn't ignoring what Peter did. Mm-mm. He brings it up. So on the surface, that seems shaming, mm-hmm. does it not? Yeah. And yet, if you look at what happens in Peter and his response, Peter doesn't feel shame in that moment. Now, that's because of the nonverbal communication of Jesus, which is not in the printed page. Jesus's presence was non was 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 loving of Peter loved him loved him was you know bringing him back into a position of leadership and 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 saying blessing on you mm. my brother and that got communicated to Peter even though they had a very frank conversation about Peter's massive failure so when shame is brought into the light of non-judgment and non-contempt, we heal. Mm. And it's just such a powerful image of, you know, what Peter has done and, and to then have to talk to Jesus after the whole encounter. It's like, oh, God, this did not go the way I thought it was going to go. Right. Um, and then you see the when you go into Acts, the book of Acts, and you see Peter's life, mm. and you see the fruit of a man who's who is healed, and it lives on behalf of the one who he thought would reject him, would shame mm. him, but because, like you said, he steps forward in this place of, I welcome you here. We're going to talk about what we need to talk about. We're going to do it in a way in which you are still shown to be loved and valued within the community uh, and how that bore fruit in the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And I think what we see with Jesus is an opportunity uh, for who we can be to others. But that also means we got to deal with some of the stuff yeah. that's in ourselves. Yeah. How do we run from feeling our own vulnerability? Like, I think to, to be able to walk in vulnerability means you have to acknowledge that you want to be in that space. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. we can even run from that within our embodied self. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, it is it is a huge risk to make myself known to another human being when I have longing for relational connection with them and I have uncertainty about what they're going to do with my heart. Mm. And so the way that we run from vulnerability, I would say in a term is self-protection. We yeah. we we self-protect. We put up some sort of wall, some sort of barrier where we hide. And most of us hide by simply omitting what's really going on inside. We're not lying per se. We just omit. We spend most of our days not letting others know what's actually going on in our heart and our body and our stomach and our chest. Mm. I want to talk about a couple of things with that. The first is to say what you guys just talked about with that interaction between Jesus and Peter. I feel like, I feel like there's a lost art there, at least from a cultural perspective Mm -hmm. where culture matters. We're looking at the intersection of faith and culture. I think what you said a minute ago, Adam, about 
Jesus addressed Peter's failures. You know, we're in this such of this zero-sum culture where it's like either complete affirmation and acceptance is what I can offer you, or this outrage thing where we just don't really, it's another way of self-protection, but we don't really engage with one another. We dismiss and straw man and argue and all these things. But how do you, how do you talk with someone maybe that you're, who's sharing something deeply personal? Maybe you disagree or you think their take is off or you, or they've wounded you. Mm -hmm. How do we approach one another in a non-judgmental, non-contemptuous way when life is so complex and our stories are so complex and they and they butt up against each other. Well, I, I wouldn't use the word non-judgmental. P- okay, Jesus okay. judged Peter. Right. Je- Jesus completely judged. Paul judges people all the time. Right. Christians have it in their heads that they're not supposed to judge because Matthew 7, 1 says, do not judge. Right. <laughs> Keep reading. Yeah. Okay. Keep reading. <laughs> there are more sentences. The passage that begins, do not judge, ends with Jesus's command, frankly, that we judge one another well. Mm. And there are some requirements to how to do that. But look, I have no problem. Nothing feels safer than when somebody judges me well. Mm. What does it mean to judge me well? It means to have clarity, curiosity, and kindness about my story and my heart, my choices. Some of my choices are have been wrong. I've done harmful things. So if your posture towards me is, oh, you know, everyone's doing the best they can. You did the best you could. I don't judge you for that. Oh my gosh, please. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel right. safe in your presence at all. Right, right. Look, look there's nothing... St- safe about a a laissez-faire, anything goes, to ignore the biblical call to justice. We live in an unjust land. Yes. So injustice needs to be named without any sugarcoating. Right. And if I'm the one who's doing something unjust or wronging another person, which I do, Mm -hmm. I need you to love me enough to name that. That requires you judging me. Right. In the biblical language, it requires you noticing the speck in my eye Mm. and judging it as a speck. That's good. However, if your posture is you have this speck, you did this thing, therefore you are unwelcome at the table Mm. and in the community, well, then the self-righteousness of that is just almost more than can be bared. I I mean, Jesus does both. He Mm. names and he welcomes. But Mm. that requires repentance on my part. But repentance in Acts is a gift. Mm. It's not something you have to do. Acts 4, repentance is a gift that Jesus gives to the church. So repentance is a gift. It means I get to repent. I get to. That means that if I harm Elizabeth and I repent, I can expect in time, Mm. if I repair, that she will welcome me back into relationship without making me pay. Mm. That's the hope of the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation. It's how we can be in relationship with those that we have harmed and that have harmed us. And if that can't happen, then there's no hope for the earth because Amen. there's a lot of injustice in the land. Yeah. Yeah, and we perpetrate it like ourselves, right? We don't. Just and we find perpetrate it. Others, it. yeah. Something as somebody in the helping profession, if we want to call it that, one thing I notice with 
people. This was true of me as well. So maybe shifting a little bit to talk a little bit about those who've experienced trauma or abuse, let's say. As we start to first understand our story and what's happened to us, now we can name it. And maybe I'm just talking about different levels, but we're talking about this idea of being able to encounter a non or somebody who judges well, a safe presence. Sometimes what I've seen happen and maybe did myself is some people feel the shame and they don't want to talk about it, so they retreat, but others become the catharsis to use a term, but you know, maybe it's a bad term, but the the feeling of encountering somebody who accepts our vulnerable stories with that judging well perspective can sometimes cause people to become uncareful with how they share or who they share with. What's maybe what's a tip for somebody who's starting to discover vulnerability and it's and it's amazing connecting, you know, uh, uh, power. Um, is there are there things we need to be on watch for? Are there people who we need to be careful of as we share our stories? Yeah, yeah, y- yes. I mean, sadly, there are very few people in your world right. that deserve your story and your heart. Mm. There are very few people that you should give editorial privilege over your heart. Mm. but you need to find at least a few. Mm. This is the village of elders that that I'm lamenting, okay? Yes, yes. We we don't live in communities where there are and I don't when I, I say elder it has nothing to do with age. Yes. It has to do with maturity. Yeah. So we need people to show us how to be men and women who who show us how to live well, who show us how to suffer our suffering so that it matures us into people of character, hope, and and, and goodness, yeah. and love. And sadly, those people are very lacking in many, many communities today. Mm-hmm. As a result, most people don't know where to turn to share their story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they go to a therapist. Right. Which, you know, fine. Mm-hmm. It's just sad. You shouldn't have to pay somebody to love you. Mm. That's deep. Because, I mean, it is. You, 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 I was just earlier today talking to another friend um, about counseling and therapy and just how it's just hard to get in with someone because they're, everybody's maxed out. Yeah. And right. just you see the, the need for I want to be seen and loved, but we don't have a place to do that except to go to a professional and to find mm-hmm. that. And thanks be to God we can do that, but we should be able to engage with one another in a way that we don't have to go to someone just for someone to hear our heart. Mm. It seems like maybe one of the calls on, you know, from our perspective who are, who are in ministry, um, maybe one of the calls, which the church has been a dangerous place for people, I'm not saying, but maybe a call should be like to obviously to become like Jesus (laughs) should be that the church could be a place that cultivates that type of person. But it, the work you have to do, Elizabeth, to your point, and Adam, to your point, in terms of being able to deal with your own story, mm-hmm. um, it's not. it doesn't seem like quick work, Adam. No, no, <laughs> it's not <laughs> yeah. quick work. Yeah. The, the work of growing up mm. is just that, Yeah. growing up. Growing up takes years. Mm-hmm. But we human beings are very able to grow up if we have elders that can show us the way. Mm. 
How did you find those elders in your life? Oh my God. Perseverance, <laughs> persistence, yeah, clawing, clawing, <laughs> clawing, looking, calling, setting up lunches, coffees, fight, searching, asking, seeking, knocking. Mm. And, and it, and it took me decades. Yeah. And that's not uncommon. Yeah. So part of, I think us being able to walk in in wisdom and vulnerability and being people who can both welcome that, but also freely offer it to others, I think requires uh, one thing I've seen in my personal journey to cultivate that is being present with myself um, yes. and doing that through the spiritual disciplines. And so I don't know, uh, how have you seen uh, spiritual disciplines like solitude or silence provide space for us to just quiet the noise and build the ability to be vulnerable with ourselves and therefore vulnerable with other people. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> the pace of modern American life is diabolical. And that's really the appropriate word. It is demonic. Mm. It is demonic in the sense that we are disconnected from our own hearts, minds, and bodies. If you can't sit with yourself in solitude for 30 minutes a day and just be with your own heart and your own gut and your own chest and your own breathing, then how is it that you are inflicting that agony on other people interpersonally? If you can't be with yourself... <laughs> What is your presence when you are with others? Mm. And and look, uh, you know, uh, here's a vulnerable statement. I, I'm I love doing therapy. Therapy is really easy for me. If I'm talking to you, Elizabeth, about your story, I am I can go to very hard, shameful places, no problem. Yeah. What's hard for me is when I have to be with Adam when there's nobody else in my office, mm. and it's just me and Jesus and my story and my journal and maybe some scripture or a book. It's far easier for me to be with a book, including the Bible, than it is just to be with my own heart and body mm. and breath. And there's a reason for that. Okay, there's a reason for that. And I'm not alone in that. That is the case for many, many people. But if I can't be with myself, then what presence am I bringing to my spouse, to my children, to my coworkers? I'm bringing a fragmented presence. Yeah, that's reminding me of a book I'm just trying to understand more as a limited human being, which is called The Weariness of the Self. I think about it a lot, but um, I'm fascinated as somebody who struggled. We, and we've talked about the show on, on the show a lot with with mental illness, especially anxiety and depression. I'm sort of fascinated with the genealogy mm -hmm. of anxiety, especially, but also depression and. I ask this question all the time, what is it about modernity that seems to be producing so many anxious young people yes. and, and yes. a particular type of depression in in us? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. I'm just, and, and not that's not to externalize it fully. I understand the, that the reasons for these things are a complicated web, but I, I am fascinated with that question. And one of the answers seems to be the pace of of modern life. Mm -hmm. Maybe speak a little bit more about that. Well, um, have you heard of the nap ministry? No. Um, 
She has a ministry called the Nap Ministry, and she's written a book. I think "Rest as Liberation." Yeah, I have and, seen that. And 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 here's what she is proclaiming. She is saying, "Look, there is something." I don't know that she would use these words, but she probably would. There's something diabolical about the pace of modern life, mm. and and it is, in my opinion, properly understood as a principality that is designed to keep human beings from being human. Mm. And there are lots of ways to do that. But one of the ways that is contemporary to our cultural moment is an insane pace and an obsession with social media. Right. And what social media does is it evokes shame and envy. Mm. And shame and envy is what drive, it's the engine that drives organizations, families, churches, companies, shame and envy. And social media, is fueled by shame and envy. You scroll, can't you feel the envy when you're looking at other people's lives? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I sure can. <laughs> and what does envy do? Envy keeps us away from the ache of our longings. If I let myself sit with my envy, it will expose a good and often godly longing in my heart mm. for something that I don't have. But as long as I keep scrolling and just keep burning with envy, I don't have to connect to that longing. Mm. This goes back to Elizabeth's point about solitude and yes. silence and being with my own heart, my own story, my own atomness. If I am with those parts of me where envy is evoked, I will find underneath that envy longing, mm. unmet longing. And oftentimes that longing is so very, very holy. I People ask me a lot about my social media uh, usage. I recently had someone ask me, you know, why don't you follow me? And I was like, look, I follow myself. Like, that's all I have space for. <laughs> <laughs> because it is like when I, when I log on, I feel that. Or you feel sure. the shame and you feel the envy. Yeah. And yeah. just how that is forming us continually i'm in this in this space of just really when i when i speak to people as i travel around the country is just pointing towards our formation is not there's no like neutrality to that it is just a question of who are you being formed into um and the ways in which we move so quickly that we can't be present with the very things that signal to us our need for things that are good and holy and the ways in which we just we ignore we numb we replace and just how I just loved how you said it. The 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 enemy is working so that we can't be the very thing that we were intended to be, and mm. it's just yes. unique to our situatedness in this time and place in history. But it really is the entirety of history. Is the enemy wants you not to be the image bearer you were designed to be? Mm. And there's so much complexity in what it means for us to be human, and so much beauty, but we miss that, and we can't actually show up in the fullness of who we are. Yes. Uh, We've talked a yes. lot about kind of sitting with ourselves and owning our own stories. And some people might be familiar with that. And other people might say, Elizabeth, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and so can you just help us understand what does it mean for us to, when you say, when we say own our own stories or know our stories, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Maya Angelou, I'm going to get the quote a little bit wrong, but basically said, you know, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. Mm. Every single person has untold stories inside of them. And if they are not stories with beginnings and middle and ends, which they rarely are, it's fragments of memory. That thing that happened at your 12th birthday party, 
that time your dad went to your soccer game and yelled at your mom and two years later they were divorced, but you remember halftime at that soccer game and that exchange they had on the sideline, you can still smell the field, you can hear the sounds, you can see the look on your mother's face. Hmm. When I talk about story, I don't mean your overarching life narrative. This happened, this happened, I bought this car, I went to this college. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about the moments, hmm. the incidents, the 92nd excerpts from your life that you still remember 30 years later, and you may not even know why, but will you bring some measure of curiosity to those fragments of memory and just ask, what would it be like to welcome this memory at my dinner table tonight? And just be curious, what do you have to tell me? What do you have for me to know? Because the way the brain works, you remember stuff for a reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you remember those things for a reason. And look, the vast majority of people minimize their story. Mm. In other words, listeners are thinking, yeah, I've got some of those memories. And they're thinking of what those memories might be. And then they're minimizing them. They're like, that can't possibly be affecting me today. That was just, I don't know why I remember it, but it can't possibly be a big deal. And those two, those three words, no big deal, mm. become plastered over memories that if we step into them will lead to new vistas of freedom. But in order to step into that freedom, you have to take your wounds seriously. In Jeremiah 6 and 8, God gets very angry with the leadership of Israel. Why? Because they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Mm -hmm. Peace, peace, they say, mm -hmm. when there is no peace. And if there's anything that marks modern American culture, it is peace, peace, when there is no peace. Mm. We do not address our collective or individual wounds as though they were as serious as they actually have been. And so you have to look at what happened to you when you were six, when you were 12, when you were 18. And you don't want to do that because that involves feeling emotions that you've buried. Mm. And most of us would rather not feel what our body needs to feel because it's scary. Mm -hmm. It's scary. And we have the sense that if I go there, I'll never come back. If I start crying, I'll never stop. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'll, I'll get so angry that I'll go kill somebody. You know, we, we, we have these fears of engaging and looking at the memories that are inside of us. And I get it. I get it. Mm -hmm. It's why story work really needs to be done with a guide. That doesn't mean a therapist. It means someone who has walked that path in their own life first and therefore can guide you through the big feelings that are going to come up for you. Do you offer that kind of guidance where can we find that is it workshop ish or is there thing what what could we do um to one both learn to engage with those stories but two uh to learn to be the type of person who who can do mm -hmm. that work yeah yeah I, I mean i i do conferences where i teach people how to engage other people's story and then the Allender Center, the AllenderCenter.org is a place, uh, it's an organization that's, this is their mission. Um, and they have two story workshops a year. It's a weekend. And then they have a longer four weekend 
uh, program that is designed to help you engage your own story and learn how to engage other people's stories with with artistry and skill. That's a great resource for, for listeners, for yeah. sure. Yeah, Adam, for the person who is listening and this is all new to them, yeah, what word of encouragement would you have as they embark, hopefully, upon yeah. embracing vulnerability, learning their own story, and really walking in the fullness of their humanity? Mm. Here's what I would say. Number one, you have a story and it matters. It matters. Just because someone else has more pain or trauma than you does not mean that your story is unworthy of engagement. Okay? If you have two broken legs, it doesn't make my broken arm hurt any less. My broken arm still needs to be tended to. Mm. But most of us look around and we're like, well, geez, I didn't have trauma. That didn't happen to me. That thing that happened to my cousin, that didn't happen to me. So I must be fine. Baloney. Look, mm -hmm. they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Mm. God wants you to dress your wound seriously. And the starting place of that is writing down some of your memories. One, two. A paragraph, bullets. If you can't do sentences, do bullets. If you can't find words, draw a picture. Mm. Look at photo albums. Just get out a photo album and pull out five or six pictures of you as a kid and sit with them and see what comes up in your body and in your heart. Mm. And then the question is, will you welcome whatever comes up? Will you welcome it? As disruptive as it may be, will you welcome it? A vulnerability for us uh, is part of our good and perfect design. Uh, that that who we are as image bearers uh, is by the hand of a creative God, mm. and you know, ability for us to engage in relationship with people in a way where we open up the 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 deep crevices of ourselves to the right person. Uh, in a way in which uh, that that it's so deep that we're able almost to be wounded. But in doing that, we receive healing and love and community that were welcomed by people. Um, and there's a beautiful picture of community that exists. And I think for the Christian is a high call that I would be someone who would help name things, but welcome people the way we see Jesus do. But I would also know myself well enough, be able to sit with myself, sit with the vulnerability, sit with the memory, sit with my story in a way that I walk in healing. Mm. And to know that that's a journey that's a marathon, not a sprint, but it's a goal of wholeness that we should have our eyes towards as Christians. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you. You're welcome. This was super fun for me. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway with editing and support from the Good Podcast Company. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social. Check the show notes for more information on how best to connect with us, as well as connect with our guests and ways to support their work. See y'all next time.